This morning we are picking up uh, a sermon series. So if you're new to our church, um, as we gather together, we take some significant time opening up the scriptures and thinking about our God and who he is and what he's done and why all of that matters. And for us, we typically do this by taking a theme or a topic or one of the books of the Bible and looking at it for several weeks in a row. And so a number of weeks ago, we're actually in part six, uh, we've been uh, thinking through uh, the city church's mission and vision. And uh, so for us, uh, it's really quite simple. It's just asking the question, like, what does it mean and what does it look like for me as an individual Jesus follower um, in this time and place to be uh, actively doing that, to be actively following him and bringing his kingdom? But then even more so than that, what does it mean for me to be a part of a community of people that are actively pursuing his kingdom coming and trying to grow in him and help others to see him and so forth? And so for the city church, like for us, the the mission is really quite simple. For us as a church, um, as a local body or expression of the, of the body of Jesus with him as the head. Um, for us, it's quite simple. The first uh, that we're about is revealing Christ. We want to be a people who expose him, make him known to the world around us uh, in so far as like what he taught, but also what he did and why all of it matters. Um, but then also, we want to be about reconciling people. And so for us, that means uh, on an individual level, like helping people to learn how to forgive, say they're sorry, be reconciled, but also in big picture, like um, wherever there's walls, wherever there's gaps between people groups or individuals, we, we want to be a people who step into that just as Jesus did and, and wherever there's brokenness to bring forth wholeness. Um, and then lastly, we want to be about uh, renewing our city. And by that, we mean kind of big picture, like finding whatever is good and right and true and beautiful um, within the creation and within our time and place and pulling that out, drawing that out for the sake of human flourishing. And so that's the, the simple mission statement of the city church. The fourth week, uh, we dove more deeply into what that means and looks like for us as a body, um, especially as it pertains to the expectations of the leaders and us with each other and um, how it is that we hope that you can all be involved or be more engaged. And then last week, we looked uh, specifically into this. Like, why do we do this? What's, what's the significance behind this Sunday gathering? And we looked into worship and what worship is really all about and the liturgy of this and how significant it actually is. And today, uh, we're gonna dig into really the only other thing that we kind of do as a church. Like, we do some, some random things here and there, like book studies, or uh, we have men's and women's Bible studies that are very consistent too. But as a church, we've, we've intentionally tried to not be so program-driven as we want to be really communally-driven. Um, and that is to equip you as an individual, but then also within community to follow after Jesus. And so we do this worship thing every Sunday because we believe it's extremely important. It's opening the doors for those who don't yet know Jesus. And this is why we have this location and why we do what we do. But really the engine behind the city church, um, we've always said from the beginning, is this like small group kind of thing where you are sharing life with each other, where you are opening yourself up, where you are able to speak into others, where you're able to use your gifts and share um, those things with others to help them grow. And so today that's what we're going to be looking into is what are these gospel communities as we call them, which are essentially small groups, what are they really all about, what's the purpose behind them? And so... Um, uh, next week, also, should let you in, uh, we're going to be doing a Q&R. By that, we mean question and response, where myself and the other uh, leaders or pastoral team really are going to be up here, and we're going to be filtering through some of the nuts and bolts of the questions that have been um, asked or raised, even amongst ourselves as the pastoral team, and things that we just couldn't dig into. So next week, we're going to do that. We're also, as we do that, if you haven't been around for a Q&R in the past, the way that it works is we have a series of questions that we're going to work through, um, and then as we work through them, there'll be a floating mic, and if anybody wants to ask or ask us to elaborate on that question or that answer, then we free it up to, to everybody who's here. So it's kind of an interactive kind of service. Um, but the reason for this is we really want as many as possible to be engaged in what it is that we're doing. So along those lines too, I forgot to mention this last week, but we've been putting out these discussion guides. So there's an outline um, of the sermon today as well as uh, some, some questions for you at the back. All six weeks of the series are back there. So if you want to grab one or all of them, by all means do that. 
Um, But this morning, I want to take you to a passage in the book of Acts. If you're not familiar with the scriptures, uh, our New Testament, which is really kind of the last third of the Bible, um, which takes place uh, during, uh, right before and during the life of Jesus and shortly thereafter. Um, In our New Testament, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are gospel narratives that tell us about much of what Jesus taught, said, did, um, as well as his death, his resurrection, right? But then you have the book of Acts. And the book of Acts uh, takes place, it starts right after Jesus ascends, or I'm sorry, as he ascends, and then the early church is birthed, and the, first, the, the church is birthed. And it tells the story of the, of the next several years as to how it is that they went about doing ministry. And in Acts chapter two, there's this amazing story of uh, the Spirit coming upon the disciples as they were praying, Peter preaching, and 3,000 people coming to faith in Jesus. Like, can you just imagine the logistical nightmare for church leaders? <laughs> 3,000 people. You're like, what am I supposed to do with all of you now, right? Um, but 3,000 people come to follow Jesus in this one moment, and then, it, and then what is told to us by the author Luke um, is what it is that they do, what they do from this point on, and what they engage themselves in in order to follow after Jesus. So it's super significant. In fact, so significant, this little piece of, of, of scripture, that uh, about a year ago, I preached, I wanna say six or eight sermons just on this piece. So we're gonna be here for a while today. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're going we're gonna to kind of fly over it. But if you have a Bible, Acts chapter 2, verses uh, 42 through 47. I'm going to read it, and then I will pray, and then we'll dig in. So 3,000 people, I'll keep this in mind. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, And all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the moment in time that you've given to us this morning to be able to sing and have our hearts refreshed, our minds renewed, and to open the scriptures which you've given to us so graciously. God, we trust that your spirit who leads and guides in truth will use this moment to mold and shape us, help us to give ourselves to you that we might leave this place changed, leave this place more... uh, more excited for your kingdom, Um, maybe even more convicted or encouraged, whatever it looks like for us this morning as individuals and as a community, would your spirit do the work that only you can do? Uh, For we ask in the most matchless, the most precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen and amen. If there were uh, like a series of words that you could give that maybe in our current day and age, most people would kind of just, as soon as they hear it, kind of kind of go, oh, icky, like they just don't want to hear you talk about that sort of a thing. There's probably a number of different things that you could throw out and say, I know a lot of people who don't want to talk about that, but here's what's interesting. As I was was thinking through this passage, it occurred to me that, that in our day and age, and it's my generation as well as I think the one before me, I don't think so much even after me, but my generation and the, I'm sorry, not before me, but the one after me, Um, one of those words that I think if it's thrown out, people kind of go, I don't know, I don't really want to talk about that is the word commitment. I think in our day and age, like people really struggle with the idea of committing, 
of commitment. I mean, I know the generations before me, there was, you know, people were getting married a lot sooner, they were having kids a lot sooner, they were committing to, to churches and organizations, but now in our day, like, it seems to be that people care m- much more deeply about personal autonomy. To be able to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, that seems to be a huge value in our day and age. And the idea of commitment seems like something where it just kind of makes people cringe, right? They, don't, they just don't want to be a part of, of some kind of commitment. But here's the thing that I find interesting as well, is that most people know, though, that it's within commitment where we actually flourish. And here, here's what I mean by that. If you were to ask a fish in an aquarium, hey, do you want to be free from the aquarium? And the fish, you know, not knowing that it's a fish inside of an aquarium needing water to live, might be like, yes, I would love to break out of here. And so you pull the fish out, and the fish dies. Because the fish seem to be unaware of the fact that this is actually where freedom is. This is where life is for the fish, right? When it's committed to this space. And I think for human beings, we, we seem to not realize very much the same thing. That it's actually when you're involved in committed relationships where freedom actually is had. Where we can actually flourish and become the people that we were meant to be and made to be. And within humanity, that actually is within community. Being made in the image of God, we talk about this all the time, means at least in part being a part of a community. And that's where we become all of who we were meant to be and help others become all of who they were meant to be. In this passage, what we have is this deeply committed community because they recognized that after they saw Jesus ascend and what it means to make disciples and what it means to be a follower of him meant be a part of a committed community that is engaged in some things. Well, what are those things is what I want to talk about today. What, what does community really resemble? And then secondly, why does it matter? Because this idea of commitment, like you do have to be kind of convinced that it's worthwhile to get into because it's costly. It takes time, energy, emotional energy, um, your own resources and so forth, so why bother? And then lastly, like what does this actually mean and look like for us as a community of, of Christ followers here today and specifically our gospel communities? So let's think first of all about what this actually resembles. And if you look back, I want to show you not just the list of things and, and the practices, but I want to show you the heart or the attitude behind their commitment. First, if you notice, the the beginning of this passage says that they devoted themselves. They gave themselves to something. Now, for for us, there's a whole lot of like Christianese kind of words in this passage, like fellowship and you know so forth. But this is one of those kind of Christianese words too. I doubt many of us speak to being devoted to things very often. Like people don't ask you about your job and you say, I'm devoted to my work, right? You probably say you're committed or something like that, but you don't say you're devoted. Usually, um, when we think of devotion as Christians, I wouldn't be surprised if what comes to mind is sort of that daily practice in the morning where you open up your Bible and you read it, you study, you meditate, you journal, and you do your morning devotions, right? And you're like, so, I I did my devotions, right? But here, what we find is something not just that they did, but the reason that they did it. We're going to see what they did in just a second, but the reason that they did it was they had this heart of devotion. There was something that inspired them, that motivated them, that moved them, that captivated them to be a part of something, And so they gave of themselves, like entirely, all of who they are to these practices because they saw these practices as extremely significant after Jesus ascends in terms of following him. Like, what does it look like to bring the kingdom? Jesus just ascended, so they gave themselves to something. And what were those things? And so there's four of them. I want to walk through each of them with you just briefly. The first, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
Now, what is the apostles' teaching really all about? Well, thankfully, we actually have some of it, right? In, in front of us in the scriptures, like what we actually have is some of the apostles' teaching. So you have uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as we mentioned a little while ago, and what these are gospel narratives where they're telling us about who Jesus is, what Jesus taught. Um, they tell us about his death, his resurrection. They tell us about his example. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as apostles' teachings, are letting us in on the person and work of Jesus, right? So first and foremost, we have that, right? We have the the person and work of Jesus must be the apostles' teaching. Of course, that's what they were talking about. And you can see this, actually, as Peter, the first thing that Peter does is he preaches Christ, him crucified, risen from the dead. That's the apostles' teaching, right? He gives it. But what you also have in the New Testament is not just the book of Acts and the history of the early church, but you have all of these letters, right? You have all these epistles. And these epistles are also the apostles' teaching. And these epistles are meant for us to think about and to consider how it is that that gospel, the good news of Jesus and who he is and what he's done, is brought to bear into everyday life, right? So the epistles are actually case studies of how it is that the apostles go, here is Jesus, here's what he's about, here's what he wants for us and the world, and here's you, and here's how I'm going to take this truth and drive it into you, not just as an individual, but even as a community. So these letters are actually actively doing that, right? So what you have in Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, what you have in these letters are the apostles saying, here's Jesus, here's what he's about. Now you as a community, this is what this means for you, right? And you can see both of these, um, these ideas in other places. So in John, he speaks of his writing of his gospel in this way. He says, but these are written. So the entire narrative that John lays out, he says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So the apostles teaching the gospels, this is what they want everybody to know who Jesus is, what he's about. But you also get the wisdom of applying this gospel in the epistles. So as a passage that we looked at a few weeks ago, Paul says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So what you have there is Paul saying, here's what I want for you, you church in Ephesus. I want you to take the truth of the gospel and I want you to apply it in your life. And so the apostles' teaching is both, of course, the person and work of Jesus, but also the wisdom of the person and work of Jesus applied. And this is super important, right? Because we, we use the scriptures as an authority, right? We appeal to the scriptures for the person and work of Jesus for sure, but then also the way in which the apostles applied the person and work of Jesus into their own lives and into community. And as you read through the epistles, what you're gonna find is not just words that they were saying, but methods that they were using. And this is, this is actually really important because there's a lot of stuff in the scriptures, or actually there's, there's a lot of stuff not in the scriptures too, right? There's a lot of stuff in the scriptures that we might look at and go, hmm, that really has nothing to do with me, right? So if you read in 1 Corinthians, you read about women in head coverings. How many of you have found that to be an issue, right? Not very many of us. You go to Galatians, you read about this huge issue or controversy within the church that had to do with circumcision, and you're like, not a big deal in my church, I don't know. And you go, so like, what is really going on here? Or you read through the New Testament and you start looking for answers for things that aren't actually there. So you think about living in America in 2019 and you start asking questions about like, 
How much, how involved should I be in the political sphere? Which party should I be voting with? What about if we should have a wall or not in immigration? Like, what about immunizations? Just kidding. <laughs> like, and, and we want to go to the Bible and find all the answers for these things, but in reality, they're not there, right? Because the Bible wasn't written to Americans in 2019. It was written to these people in the very first century. And so what, what Paul and the other apostles are doing is they're taking the gospel and they're bringing it to bear in that particular situation to which then we look at, not just for the words, but we look at for the application. How did they do what they were doing? So here's what I mean, right? Paul, in speaking to the Corinthians and Paul, in speaking to the Galatians, is deeply concerned about their unity. He's deeply concerned about the gospel moving forth in their community and through them. And so he recognizes an issue and then he begins to speak about the issue, head coverings. Begins to speak about the issue, circumcision. So what we're seeing is Paul not, not running away from the issue. Paul is jumping headfirst into the issue and he's saying, Jesus Christ should be more important to you than your desire to be separated and exalt yourself because of whatever you think about head coverings or whatever you think about circumcision. Right? So what you actually have there is a case study of the apostles' teaching. So for us, what we ought to be doing is looking into the scriptures to see the words for sure, but also to see how it is that they applied the person and work of Jesus into each context. And so that's what we do with each other. Every Sunday that we gather together, that's what we're trying to do, right? We're looking back centuries ago, and we're saying, person and work of Jesus, absolutely stare into that. What does that actually mean for us today, right? As Paul's dealing with these people or with these people, what does that mean for a community like us? So that's what it means to dig into the apostles' teaching, right? How they applied the person and work of Jesus in time and place. But also, it says that they devoted themselves to fellowship. If you look back, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, but also to fellowship. This word fellowship is the word koinonia. And this word is super important. Paul will use another variation of this word later on. This is one of those, again, like kind of Christianese words, fellowship. I mean, the last time you hung out with your friends, did you say, that was great fellowship, bro? Like, probably not, right? Um, you don't put on Facebook like you just had great fellowship time with like your friends, right? That's, it's not words that, that we use in everyday language, but it is word that we use like within the Christian context, right? And the idea here isn't just hanging out, right? It's not just getting a group of people together and then slapping on it the idea we just fellowshipped right? Now, um, no, there's, there's actually far more to it. And, and Luke, who, who wrote Acts, he'll elaborate on it as he moves forward. I want to show you. If you look forward in verses tw- uh, 44 through 45, he says, and all who believed were together and they had all things in common, which is koinos, which is where we get koinonia or fellowship. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And so here, what what Luke is doing is he's letting us in on what fellowship actually looks like. Fellowship isn't just getting a group of people together. What it says that they did here in their fellowship is they shared. And if you think about friendship, friendship, like if you were to boil it down to what it actually looks like, I mean, certainly you could say it's love, you could say it's trust, you could say, you know, like those sorts of things, of course. But when you ask, like, what does love in friendship actually look like? What does trust look like? in friendship actually look like? How is it implemented, right? How does it play out? And I might argue that one of the main characteristics as to how it should look is sharing. When you're a friend, you share. And, and I'm not just talking about stuff, as is spoken of here, but you share your life, 
right? You get open with people. You, you let them in on who you are. You let them in on, on your hopes, your fears, your anxieties, your dreams. Like you let them in on your past. You let them in on things that have happened to you. You let them in on, on what it is that you would like to do. And like that, this is what you share yourself, right? With somebody, you get open, you get transparent. But also, when somebody is sharing themselves with you in friendship, you recognize their needs. And so you give to them what it is that you can. You give to them your, your own heart, your words, your, your affection. You give to them your person, your physical presence. And if they are in some kind of physical need, you meet that need. Like that's what friendship actually looks like. And here, what is being described, like just imagine this, 3,000 people and not a single person had a need. Like, imagine how it is that they, they gathered together and people actually expressed, here, I've got extra, and other people expressed, I'm in need. And they were able to come together so that, so that there was this, this crazy thing happening where everybody was just content. How beautiful is that? That's what's going on here. 3,000 people all sharing their lives and sharing their stuff. So they gave themselves, right? They devoted themselves first to the person work of Jesus, driving it into their lives. And then what Jesus is really all about, which is this unity amongst people where they share their lives with one another. And so the apostles' teaching and fellowship. But it carries on. And we find also that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, uh, for us, this probably comes with kind of one idea. But for, for them... It was actually kind of two ideas mixed together. So here's what I mean. For us, I wouldn't be surprised if when we read Breaking Bread, uh, we probably go to these tables, right? We, in our minds, we think, oh, the, the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus, and so communion, right? So we come to this table, we're, we're breaking bread together, right? But in their day and age, this, this actually wasn't really a part of what they did. Um, throughout church history, if you, if you read through like the way in which they celebrated the Lord's Supper and even the way in which they worshiped, they were mostly small gatherings in people's homes. And as they gathered together, um, there wasn't so much a ritual to this thing um, or even the liturgy that we even have today. It was more of just a gathering of people together around a meal. And that whole meal itself was actually considered to be the communion meal. And this would make sense, right? Because if you're call when Jesus institutes communion, when he institutes the, the new covenant or the, at the Passover meal, they're having a meal together. They're having a whole meal together. He didn't just hand them a wafer and a little cup. <laughs> it was a whole meal that they were having together, right? And, and of course they would, because this is what Yahweh instituted throughout the entire story of Israel, right? If you recall the story of Israel, what many of the things that God had them do in worship had to do with food and feasts, right? These seven feasts where they would gather together and they would recall who God is and what he's done. And so they would feast together. And the early church, this is the way that they celebrated communion. In people's homes, small groups of people around an entire meal. In fact, I've got a couple pictures for you to kind of help you to see. I think I do have some pictures for you. I may not. Maybe, oh, I do. Oh, those are really blurry, sorry. But if you can see these ancient like drawings, like look at what's on that table there. Like you have fish, right? And clearly some bread. And notice these people are all like interacting with each other. The idea behind this is like what you're seeing is they would gather together for a whole meal when they broke bread. And, and this is extremely significant because in their breaking bread and calling that communion, what they're doing is they're recalling who God is and what he's done through the person and work of Jesus. If you carry on, 
into the story again, you see this. Uh, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. They received their food with glad and generous So as they were breaking bread, what they were doing was giving thanks as well. And of course, right, that's what Jesus said to do. He said, as often as you do this, like in remembrance of me, right? That's what he's speaking of. Remembrance is the, the act of giving thanks. You're looking to the past. You're seeing what has happened. You're pulling it into the present and you're saying, oh, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for that. Or life wouldn't be this way if it weren't for that. And especially I wouldn't have salvation and hope if it weren't for that. And the idea of remembrance is precisely that. You're recalling something or you're taking what is there you're pulling it into the present. So they would have these whole meals where the idea was to pull that past event into the present. And think about how, how awesome this is. I mean, when you think uh, prior to maybe being a Christian, or I know prior to me being a Christian, or maybe if you're not even a follower of Jesus in the room today, which is awesome, glad that you're here, and you're thinking about like, what sort of God do you want to follow? And you hear about all these religions, right? And they're, they're like, hey, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, A, B, and C, you know, X, Y, and Z. Like, here's what you gotta do. And then you come to me and you're like, why should I follow Jesus? And I'm like, he wants you to eat. <laughs> like, talk about, yes, that's the kind of God I wanna be around. Like, he wants you to have love feasts with other people. Like, that's the kind of God we're talking about here. And it's not just Jesus, it's all through the Old Testament. He wants us to gather together, to have meals together, and be reminded of his goodness as we do it. It's a beautiful thing. But not only are they devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, they're also devoted to prayer. So if you look back, right, they devoted themselves to prayer. Now, this is a pretty simple concept, um, but I want to hit on something that I didn't hit on last week when we were talking about this, this gathering, because I get asked quite a bit um, why it is that we do the Lord's Prayer in our service. So if, if you're new to our church, um, we, we recite the Lord's Prayer as a community every single Sunday um, in the second set of music. So after the sermon, we'll sing a song, maybe two, and we'll recite the Lord's Prayer together. And people often ask me, because around here, you know, I'm, I'm from Southern California, so there's not a whole lot of um, Catholic presence in Southern California, but around here there is. And so a lot of people were born and raised in the Catholic Church, and they ask me why it is that, that we do it, and, and it can become kind of rote or just routine. And so what's with the, the whole, like, what seems to be just a, a ritual? And here, I'm going to tell you why. The prayer that Jesus taught his people to pray um, is communal in nature. I don't know if you've noticed this, I've spoken to this before, but he speaks of um, how to pray in terms of, uh, of a community, right? And so he says, uh, forgive us our trespasses. And he says, may you meet the need of, of us getting bread, right? And he speaks to this all in, in a communal sense. And so when you're reciting the Lord's Prayer, what you're doing is you're becoming more aware of the people around you. You're becoming aware of your need to forgive trespasses. You're becoming aware of your need to say you're sorry. You're becoming aware of the people around you who might have need. You're becoming aware of how it is that you might meet those needs because you're speaking it out loud in a community, right? And when people pray together, something amazing happens. And it might not be extremely significant, but, but for me, I think it's really quite amazing. And that is that we are encouraged and we're reminded of the truth of God that he actually exists, that he really did send his son, that he really did rise from the dead, that our hope is not in vain. And so here's what I mean by that. I'm just going to be brutally honest with you guys. Even though I'm a pastor and I preach every single Sunday and I get to spend a ton of time in the scriptures, I have moments where I go, is this really real? Like, God really took on flesh 
and Jesus of Nazareth really did do miracles? And Jesus of Nazareth, God in the flesh, actually gave himself in death and rose from the dead? Like every once in a while, if I'm like, especially if I'm alone, <laughs> I go, am I losing my mind? Like, like I actually believe that God took on flesh. Like, is, is this really true? And then I get around you. And when I'm around you and you all pray, I'm around you and you're all singing. There's something about that that makes me go, oh, yeah, I'm not crazy. There's a whole bunch of other people in here who believe the same thing. Like, God is at work in the world. And so my doubts begin to be nothing because you're praying to the creator of the universe alongside me. So what we're doing when we're reciting the Lord's Prayer isn't just a rote thing. It's actually a practice that is meant to help us all be reminded that God really is who he said that he is and that we are actually in this thing together. And so we pray together, right? It gives to us this confidence. And so they devoted themselves to these things, right? They gave themselves with a great desire to the apostles' teaching, taking the truth of who Jesus is, what he's done, bringing it to bear into their own lives and, and to each other. And then they also devoted themselves to the fellowship, the, the real sharing of giving themselves to one another, the expression of need and meeting those needs, and then also to the breaking of bread, the regular gathering of eating together, giving thanks, pulling the past into the present, and then also the prayers. They remind themselves that God, they need God, and we're in this thing together, right? But why bother with this, right? Why bother being a part of a committed community that's going to actively engage in these things on a very regular basis. Why bother? Why does this actually matter? And I wanna take you to, back to the text and show you a couple things that I think are really quite extraordinary in terms of what happens because of this devotion to these things. In, in verse 43 and verse 47, here's what it says. And awe came upon every soul. And many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. I'm not gonna to talk to that today, sorry. Maybe some other time. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Notice this. When these people, when these 3,000 people got excited about the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead and ascended and they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers, as they gave themselves to these things, daily it says they were doing this, in the temple and in their houses, as they committed to this, awe came upon people. Like, doesn't that strike you at all as odd? Like there's groups of people meeting together regularly to talk about Jesus, eat together, pray together, and awe came upon them. They're engaged in community, they're having meals, and they're just struck with awe. That sounds crazy that that's actually a possibility, but that's precisely what happened. It was in their constant commitment to one another that this awe was restored within them. And this is actually super important because we, we have, I think, a bit of an, kind of an awe disorder. And what I mean by that is that we are struck by or captivated by or consumed by all sorts of things that like, you know, create this awe within us, but they're actually not really good for us. And they mold us and shape us in terrible ways. But here what we have is the opportunity to be struck with awe in such a way where we could be more molded and shaped into the human beings that we were meant to be especially looking like Jesus himself. This awe that's spoken of here, um, you might think of in terms of reverence or of fear. But I think it's actually far more than that, right? So we, we've spoken about like the fear of God. And, and sometimes when people speak about the fear of God, they, 
they try, try to draw this analogy where they, they say, you know, sort of like the, the same way a, a child fears their parent, right? So there's this, like, respect for their parent. And, and I get that. Um, but this awe is actually way, way more than just a respect, right? So you could ask a kid, like, hey, do you respect your father or your mother? And they're like, yeah, of course I do. Are you in awe of your father or your mother? My kids would be like, heck yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but, no, but, but if you asked them that, like, wh- what would they say? Of course, they're, they're going to be like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> like, I'm not in awe of my parents, right? So what's really going on here? Well, this idea of awe isn't just about a fear or being able to check the box and saying that you respect God Almighty. It's actually what happens to us when we are overwhelmed with the beauty and the goodness of God. And by that, what I mean is that we become pliable, like moldable, shapeable, like we become just almost ridiculously submitted to God. Because when we're aware of his beauty, of his goodness, of his truth, something overwhelms us where we just go, do with me whatever you want. Like you're just, you're just so amazing and beautiful, just do with me whatever you want. And what's taking place here is that. Like these people came to a place where they were like, God, you can do with me whatever you want because they were devoted with each other to the apostles teaching fellowship, breaking bread and prayers. Like this is the result of committed community. How astonishing is that? Like if you're, in other words, if you've been wondering why it is that you don't feel so submitted to God, why you're not so in awe of him, why you're not willing to be molded and shaped by him, might I suggest give yourself to the commitment with other people to the apostles teaching the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers and just see because that's what happened here. As they did it, this is what happened. But not only that, it's not just for you as an individual, but it says that it was through this that many were saved, right? If you look back, it says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaped. I'm sorry, (laughs) wrong passage. That's where I meant to go, actually, in talking about awe. That was in Hebrews. Side note, free for you. It says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. This idea of saved has to do with, um, first of all, being, being safe and secure, but also being made healthy, right? It's being brought out of some kind of slavery into some kind of freedom. And so as they were doing this, and they were struck with awe, they're submitting themselves to God in sort of this just like, whatever you want to do with me. As they're doing this, also what is happening is people are looking in from the outside. They're seeing this devotion and they're coming to a place of freedom. They're coming to a place of letting go of all of the stuff that took them captive. They're coming to a place of entering into the wholeness and the fullness of God himself through Christ. So if you're wondering why it is that more of your friends or family members aren't coming to know Jesus the way that you are, might I suggest it's the same question about awe. How come it is that I'm not in so much awe how come it is that so many of my family members and friends aren't coming to know Jesus? What if we gave ourselves to the kind of committed community devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers? Maybe then our family members, our friends, our coworkers might look at that and be like, I want that. Because that's apparently what happened here. Now, of course, there's words to be spoken about the truth of Jesus as Peter did for the 3,000 to come, but notice this. People are coming to know Jesus because of this committed community. And so when you ask yourself, like, why would I bother with that sort of commitment, giving myself to something? And here's why. You have the opportunity for awe, 
We have the opportunity for people to come to know Jesus and be set free and experience salvation. So for us as a community, like how does this actually look? How does it look for us to take these ideas and really implement them? Like what, what does it look like for us to say, we're gonna gather together regularly, like devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayers, so that we might experience this awe and also those who are outside of Christ coming to know him. Like what does this actually look like? So for us as a community, um, we gather together in small groups. Um, most of them weekly, and uh, as we gather together, we are trying to institute these values, uh, these these uh, these practices, um, but not necessarily in the way that uh, one might think, where it's uh, just nailing them all and, and just checking the boxes, but rather we like to think about these things more in terms of what it is that we value, and so they might look different in times and seasons and maybe even in a particular gathering that week, but ideally, we would be hitting on all four of those uh, cylinders kind of at the same, you know, within, within each meeting, but maybe maybe some emphasis on others, but again, it's, it's more about values than it is about the actual specific practice. We wanna leave some freedom for each group, but we call these gospel communities, and the reason that we call them gospel communities is uh, because we're centered around the gospel, first and foremost, but also we're centered around the scriptures, uh, we're centered around hospitality, and we're centered around uh, the idea of mission or uh, of future focus, of mission-mindedness, right? And so I want to hit on just each of these for just a second. Um, and then, uh, yeah, if you have more questions about, like, the nuts and bolts, by all means, like, write it on a connection card or come talk to me, and we'll, we'll try to iron out some of it next week for you. But first of all, uh, we really want to be gospel-centered. And what we mean by this is not... Not, uh, not like the gospel first in terms of checking the list, like you're just thinking about the gospel, but rather that every single thing that you do is centered around or it flows out of or the lens through which we see the world and where it is we're always drawing each other back to is this idea of the gospel. The simple gospel that Jesus is Lord, that in his life, his death, his resurrection, he actually did bring forth his kingdom and he wants us to be a part of it. So everything that we do, we want to be centered around that particular idea, right? So in our gatherings, as we break bread with each other, we're reminding ourselves that this came from him. We're reminding ourselves that this community came from him. Our conversation is centered around, like, even if it's around like your life and what's going on in your marriage or in your family or in your job or coming back to the apostles teaching like what does Jesus have to say about this what does he want you to think about this how does he want you to have what kind of attitude does he want you to have towards this so we're constantly coming back to the reality that Jesus is Lord like that's really what the gospel is but then we're also thinking very much about the scriptures, right? We believe that, that Jesus, of course, is Lord, but the, the primary means that God has given to us to recognize him, to know him, to bring him and his gospel to bear in everyday life is through this book. He's given to us the scriptures where faithful men of God and women of the past who have written down much of what it is that we need to know about who God is, about what God is like. And so he's given to us this precious book to be able to look to it and see who Jesus actually is. And so for us, like our plan moving forward is within our gospel communities to week by week be uh, stepping into a passage of scripture and, and uh, sort of just gnawing on it, meditating on it throughout the week. And then as we meet, that being kind of the primary point of our discussion. So we want as many people who are involved in gospel communities and even our entire church to be kind of working through the scriptures together. Not a huge, immense amount um, and not just for theological training but to just chew on and, and think about who Jesus is and what he's all about. But then thirdly, we want to be hospitable. And by that we mean with the people amongst us in that sort of fellowship way, but also even for those outside uh, of the church community. And so first of all, amongst us, right? The idea of, of hospitality within a gospel community um, is that we would be sharing, 
right? That we would be sharing um, our emotions, we'd be sharing our life, again, our hopes, dreams, our fears, our anxieties, but that we'd be getting open with each other, with, with who we are and our stories, but then also our stuff. Like ideally, what would be taking place in gospel communities is the recognition of what it is that I have and what it is that somebody needs and the exchange of those things so that there's nobody without need, that we would be performing really in a sense like benevolence with each other. But that requires a, an acknowledgement of, of what it is that I need, an acknowledgement of what it is that I have. It requires like being together on a regular basis. But also for those outside. And so hospitality for us isn't just opening up our homes for those who are already apart, but also for those who aren't where we, we want people who aren't yet followers of Jesus to enter into that kind of community and see, get a taste of, and us even, um, as we're hospitable with each other, hosp- hospitable with them too. What is it that they might need? How is it that we might help them, right? So that's the idea um, behind hospitality, but also mission-driven or, mission or future-focused. And we mean this in a couple ways as well. The first um, is community service. Um, we, we haven't historically done a ton of or been consistent with community service, but ideally moving forward, we would have our gospel communities um, think through like once every six weeks or so how it is that they might be able to serve the community. And that could be anything from their neighbor's lawn uh, or their house and painting it, or it could be like an actual event that they want to put together. It could be all the gospel communities coming together for something much bigger, um, or even gospel communities helping another one do some side project or something, but being very strategic and like once every six weeks we want to get out and we want to do something for one of our actual neighbors. And so we want to be mission-minded in that way, but also future-focused in the sense of gifts and leadership within gospel communities, right? So we acknowledge that there are people within each gospel community who are gifted, gifted in a particular way to help um, even the larger body and so we want to keep an eye out for who those people are and where those desires are where they, how it is that they would like to serve and raise them up and equip them and help them also lead another gospel community or get them plugged in wherever it, can, wherever it is that they might fit so that we might be able to push this thing forward and bring God's kingdom into this world and so that's kind of our, our big plan for gospel communities and we can get into the nuts and bolts next week with the, with the Q&Rs to how it is that we really plan to, to play this out especially in terms of um, the pastoral team and equipping and encouraging the gospel community leaders themselves because we know it's quite a task. And so we're raising the bar for ourselves to try to be really good um, pastors and equippers of those gospel community leaders. And so if you're interested in being a part of a gospel community or not, downstairs, fill out one of the forms. We'd love to get you plugged into one. If you're interested at all in leading or learning more, we're doing a leadership training on uh, the 23rd or 24th, I forget, it's Saturday in November, I wanna say 23rd, um, from nine to noon. Everybody's more than welcome. You don't have to sign on a line and say that you're gonna lead one. We just wanna inform you and, and, and hopefully excite you to the end of potentially leading one. One last thing I want to say um, is these uh, sort of intensives that uh, Jan Wilson and I have, have started um, in leading uh, people, ho- hopefully, um, in sort of an intense um, discipleship program. And so for ladies, we've started uh, a couple months ago this um, sort of like a cohort intensive thing that we've called a Poema Partnership. And the idea is to equip these ladies to understand their own gifts, to grow in Christ, and then to also be able to minister however it is that God might call them to. And we're gonna be starting one for the men probably in the beginning of 2020. And so these are monthly gatherings uh, along with a, a bunch of homework, but we gather together for a few hours once a month, and the idea is to spur each other on to love and good deeds. And so if you're interested in either of those, the poem one's already started, but you ladies, if you're interested in the, the, the next one that we start, it would be probably 10 months from now or something, but we'd love to have you join, guys 
slides if you're interested. We'll have applications downstairs sometime soon. But this is the direction that we're hoping to go, is to be a lot more intentional, a lot more focused uh, with what it is that God has given to us as individuals with gifts, but also as a community at large. And so we have the opportunity here, friends. We have the opportunity to be a part of something where awe can be restored, where you can be brought back to that place where you are blown away by the beauty of God. So I'd encourage you in that. And we have an opportunity to see people who don't yet know Jesus experience the same freedom and the same joy that you know because you know him. And so I would just encourage you, don't miss out on the opportunity of what it means to be the church. Like It's an extraordinary thing. Let's not miss out on it. Let me pray. Father, thank you for... Thank you for your scriptures and thank you for the amazing opportunity that you've set before us to be a part of something that, that really uh, resembles you, that, that brings your beauty, brings your goodness into this world. And Father, we ask that you would help us um, to see our own, our own gifts, our own abilities, that you would help us to see how it is that we might be of use for you and for the people around us, how it is that we might love, um, love better. Just love the people around us better, love our city better. We need you for this, and so continue this work that you've started in this community. We're so grateful for it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.